and busyness of life, um, or we're trying to make enough to make ends meet month to month, to forget the simple truth that people matter. But can I go a little bit further today and drive the point home a little bit more in saying that each person matters. Each person matters. Not just people in general, although they do, but each person that makes up the group. They matter. It's one thing to think about a, uh, about people, to think about a group, but it's something else to think about the individual, the individual person. Remind ourselves that a group is made up of individual people, and each one of those individuals matters. Each person matters to God, and they should matter to us. God created each person. Each person is made in the image of God. We forget that in our world today. Um, each person is going to be accountable to God and stand before God one day. Every person that you see, every person that you interact with, they matter. They are important. They are valuable. And I got to thinking about our Lord Jesus. I got to thinking about his life as we read his life in the Gospels. And when he came and dwelt as the God-man upon the earth, have you ever noticed how Jesus did not just deal with large crowds? Now, there were times where he preached to the crowds. But when you read his life, have you ever stopped and really focused in on the times that he took with people one-on-one? -on -one? Just think with me for a little bit about some of the accounts of Jesus one-on-one -on -one with people. He made it a point to reach out and to connect and communicate and to save the woman at the well. He made it a point to take time to interact with the rich young ruler. He, he made it a point to heal a crippled beggar. He healed the demonic man in chapter 5 of the book of Mark. Uh, he stopped when the lady with the, the hemorrhage reached out and touched him. He stopped and he 
dealt with her one-on-one. He, he, he talked with Nathaniel. He forgave the woman that was brought and put at his feet that was called an adultery. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. Peter's mother-in-law. And some people think that's why Peter denied him later, but anyway. Um, we're not sure about that. The Bible doesn't elaborate, but some have speculated. He said to the wee little man, Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, you come down, as we sang growing up in Sunday school in BBS. You come down because I'm going to your house today. And, and here he is, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, perfect God, perfect man, joined in the flesh. And he takes time to converse and minister with people one on one. You see, each person matters and every person matters. One article that I read said that in the Gospels, we find more than 40 meetings, 40 meetings of Jesus and various individual people, taking time to minister one-on-one, taking time to talk and to heal and to converse and to bring people to himself. Why? Because he loves people. And Jesus loves you. And Jesus loves me. And he's made it very clear in his word that we're supposed to love people too. And not just as a group and not just in masks, but to love the individual. Because each person matters and every person matters. In fact, he wants us to go and to make disciples of all nations. To tell people about Jesus. Now when you read in the Bible how the gospel spread, and you look at the early church, so you go through the gospels, you see the Lord Jesus is crucified, he's buried, he rises again. You get to the book of, book of Acts, which is the Acts of the Apostles. It's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through them and the Christians. But we see how the gospel spread. And it wasn't through television and internet. And it wasn't through ads on the side of city buses. And it wasn't through media campaigns or social media ads. It's not that there's anything wrong with those. And I think we should utilize anything that we have at our disposal that God's given us to communicate the gospel. But it spread how? It spread from person to person. It was people reaching people. Sometimes in a mass gathering with someone preaching in a large crowd. Maybe when Peter stood up and he preached and many were added to the, the church, to the faith. But a lot of times, was it not from person to person. I would imagine if we were to take a survey of this congregation and ask you how you came to faith in Christ, I think there'd be a good number in here who would mention an individual's name that talked with you, that led you to Christ. You know, um, today I want to talk with you about the importance of one. The importance of one. And we see this displayed in various places in the Scripture. And when you think about it, we could go and we could look at the parable of the shepherd that leaves the 99 and search of the one. And we could go and look at that story. We could turn to the parable of the lost coin in Luke chapter 15. And we've lost our signal, so you're just going to have to, to go with us. I don't know what's going on. Pray that gets corrected by tonight or we're in trouble. Uh, Luke chapter 15. We could look at the parable of the lost coin. Uh, it says, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, 
does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she's found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the peace which was lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now think about that. There's joy in heaven whenever someone gets saved on earth. That's an amazing thought. There's a rejoicing among the angels when someone here gives their life to Jesus Christ. The importance of one. We could go and study the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son wanders off and then we see he comes to the end of himself and he's coming back home and the father runs to him and receives him unto himself. The importance of one. We can see it in different places. We can talk about it in different places. But I want to show it to you today in a familiar story in Luke chapter 5. If you have your copy of the Scripture, you grab one out of the pew there. Luke chapter 5. You grew up in Sunday school. If you grew up in um, church, you've heard this story. Thank you. Luke chapter 5. And, and I want to look at this story afresh and anew today. And I think you'll recognize the story, but let's read it again. As we think about the importance of one and who's your one, in Luke chapter 5, find verse 16, please. I love this story. Luke chapter 5, verse 16, talking about Jesus. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Now, here's the story. Then behold, men brought on the bed a man who was paralyzed, whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling into the midst before Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said unto them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man, Jesus, has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately, immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. They were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. I I love this story. Can't you picture it? As we read through it, can't you just see this in your mind's eye? What's happening here? I think we could call this story incredible. It's just an incredible story. Notice, first of all, there's incredible faith in, in exercising this story on display here. We know from Mark's account that you have five men that are trying to get to Jesus. One of the men is paralyzed. He's lying there on his bed, on his mat. And there are four other men who are carrying him. And so, in your mind's eye, kind of get that picture. You've got four guys, each one on a corner. They've got a paralyzed man there in the middle. They don't have professional stretchers like we do. Imagine there, they've got him there. They're struggling along carrying this man on his bed, on his mat, trying to get to Jesus. And wouldn't you know it, as soon as they get to the place where Jesus is... Just like trying to get into a good restaurant after church, it's too crowded to get in. 
They can't get in. The way is blocked. There's no way they're going to get to see Jesus. But these men were going, they were not going to go away. They had faith to get into Jesus. But when their faith was hindered, when obstacles arose, they found a way to still get this man to Jesus. They took this man up on the housetop, on the roof. Now in that day, houses would have had flat roofs. And they would have had some way to get up on the roof. There would have been a ladder or some stairs. But imagine trying to carry a paralyzed man on his bed up the stairs or up a ladder and get up on the roof. And then you get up on the roof and you still have the obstacle there. How are you going to get down to Jesus? And it says here, they begin to tear up the roof. They begin to make a hole in the roof. And so imagine, I wonder what the homeowner thought. I imagine he was on the phone with Jake from State Farm. Hey, is my homeowner's insurance paid up? Because we've got some stuff going on here. Jesus came. I didn't know I was getting into this. But all of a sudden, there's a hole in the roof and stuff's going on. Imagine you were in the room. I would love to have been a fly on the wall that day. As you're there, Jesus is there. He's healing people. He's ministering. And all of a sudden, there's a commotion up above them. And a little peak of light shines through. And then it gets bigger and stuff is falling down. And people are going back. And people are like, what in the world's happening? And all of a sudden, this bigger hole appears. And then this bed begins to descend with a paralyzed man, and it stops and lays right there in front of Jesus. Incredible faith. Incredible faith. I really wonder, I really wonder what the paralyzed man was thinking. He's there, he can't do it, but his friends are there. Can you imagine what was going on in his mind and his heart as they're going to all this trouble to get this man to Jesus? Incredible faith, but... You know, that, that man had an incredible need. There was an incredible need here. He was lying there, and I don't know what was going through his mind. I can only imagine, but he was helpless, and he was vulnerable. And there he was, exposed, lying there in front of all these people. And he, they just destroyed part of the roof and lowered him down, and there he is in front of Jesus. What are people going to say? What are people going to do? What's Jesus going to do? No doubt this man who's paralyzed, he wanted healing. He wanted to walk. He wanted to be whole. But then I want you to notice what happened next. It shocked everybody. I think it may have even shocked the man lying there paralyzed. Look at verse 20. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, now we take it, that means the faith of these five men. That is the man who was paralyzed also had faith. Because he, he went along with this. You know, he's paralyzed, but still, he, he, he was there and, I believe he had faith as well. When he saw their faith, he said to them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, wait a minute. He's still there on the mat. He's still there in front of Jesus. He's still paralyzed. He can't walk. He can't get up. It seems like he's in the same condition he was, and he was physically in the same condition. And I imagine maybe the guys, I just see them peeking over down in. They had let him down somehow. They're there looking down. And they're there and Jesus is ministering like. And Jesus says, man, your faith, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. Hmm. Now what gives? They came for healing. They brought this man on a mat 
carrying him. They weren't planning on taking him back home the same way. They brought him on that bed. They weren't planning on taking him back. They, they had planned on Jesus healing them. That was the prayer. That was the desire. That was the hope they had. But Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, he says to the man, your sins be forgiven you. Now, what gives? Well, you see, there was there that day an incredible need, real need. But we have to remember that this man's physical need, while it was great, it was not the greatest need in his life. His greatest need was forgiveness for his sin. And we need to remember that as well as we're ministering to people. There are needs all about us and there are tremendous needs. And as God enables us and God helps us, we should meet whatever needs we can as God directs us. But people's greatest need, listen, is always, it's always being made right with God. That is their greatest need. Not healing, not money, not resources, none of that. That's not their greatest need. Those needs are important and we should be compassionate and we should meet those needs as God enables us. But people's greatest need, beloved, is salvation, the forgiveness of sin. You see, even those who are rich and those who are affluent and those who are healthy and those who are fit and those who seem to have it all together, they still have a great need in their life. And you may not see it from the outside and it seems they've got it all together, but they're broken and they're lost and they're doomed and they need Christ. Christ is their greatest need. We need to remember that they need spiritual healing, salvation to be placed back into our right relationship with God. Now, we don't know if this man's paralysis was because of some sin that he committed. We don't know if he was born with this. We don't know if this happened later in life. We don't know if this is a result of some sin he may have committed or just a result of living in a sin-cursed fallen world, as all sickness is a result of that. But ultimately, all disease is a result of the fall. But regardless, he needed forgiveness. He needed forgiveness. And he received forgiveness, which brings to my mind another incredible thing here. And it's an incredible person. It's our incredible Savior. Our incredible Savior. We find incredible faith, incredible need, but praise be to God, there's an incredible Savior. The religious leaders were there. And they were not there to encourage Jesus. They were not there to pray for His ministry. They were not there to help Him. They were there hoping to find fault with Him, to find some way that they could condemn Him, to find some way they could do away with Him. They didn't like Him. They didn't want Him. They, they just were there to cause harm, if you will. And it's interesting, while they were there, they were beside themselves, and in their mind, Jesus would blaspheme. Look at what it says in verse 21. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, so they're inwardly, or maybe they're small group, we, we think it's inwardly here, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? By the way, their theology was right. In that point, only God can forgive sin. But what they fail to recognize is God was the one who was forgiving sin. Because Jesus is God. He's always been God. And He'll always be God. Don't ever get in your mind that Jesus began in Bethlehem. Jesus is God. He's always been. He's eternal. His humanity began in Bethlehem. Or, or even further back when the Holy Spirit placed him within the womb of Mary and then he was birthed there in Bethlehem, which we celebrate at Christmas. 
Jesus uses this to tell them that he's divine, that he's God. Notice it says in verse 22, but when Jesus perceived their thoughts, so they're thinking these things. I imagine they're kind of looking at each other, eyes wide open. He perceived their thoughts. He answered and said to them, why are you reasoning in your hearts? He gets their attention. Then he puts forth a very plain question. Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise up and walk? Which is easier to say? By the way, you can say both. But then I love what he says in verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. See, Jesus didn't lay aside his deity when he came. Um, he reserved some, using some of his divine attributes, obviously, and um, he humbled himself and became obedient even to Mary and Joseph, and obedient to the cross. But He's always God. He was God every second that He was in human form. He's still God, will always be God. But as God in the flesh, He had the ability not only to heal people physically, but to forgive them spiritually. And He says to these scribes and Pharisees, He says, listen, I'm God. But that you may know that the Son of Man in human form has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. In other words, it's easy to say, your sins be forgiven you. You know, some of these false teachers, some of these faith healers, you ever notice how they go about that? They do a lot of things you can't see. I sense today that Somebody having gallbladder issues, you're healed right now. I sense somebody else's back is in pain, you're healed right now. You ever notice they don't go down to the children's hospital, to the cancer wing, and walk through the cancer wing to little boys and girls with leukemia and heal them? I'm not saying God cannot heal. I'm saying there's a lot of people that are false prophets and false teachers. But Jesus says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Because you can't see that. Not in the man lying there paralyzed, but that you may know that I have the power to forgive sins. I'm going to show you. Arise, take up your bed and walk. And the man says immediately, got up. I would have loved to have seen the faces of those scribes and Pharisees as they picked their jaw up off the floor. What can they say? Here he is. He's Jehovah. He's Messiah. And it says in verse 25, immediately he rose up before him, took up what he'd been lying on, departed to his own house, glorifying God. I love that. Verse 26, and they were all amazed. And they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we've seen strange things today. Now let me ask you, beloved, what about us today? What does this story teach us today? Well, it teaches us so much. There's so much, there's so many ways we could go now as we think about applying this to our life. From a doctrinal standpoint, let's just talk about it for a moment. This story reminds us that, that, that Jesus is God. It reminds us that Jesus is the forgiver of sins. Jesus is the great physician. Jesus is the discerner of our thoughts. And Jesus is the Savior. I mean, all that's just from that one story. Remember, when you're reading about the, the stories of Christ's life, it's not just sharing just for information, it's sharing it for transformation. 
The Holy Spirit can take the truth of the Word of God and change us and mold us. And we're seeing not just what Jesus does, but who Jesus is. And so we look at this story and we understand, yeah, He's the Messiah. He's God. He's the forgiver of sins. He's the discerner of our thoughts. We can't think a thought without God knowing. And ultimately, He's the Savior. Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is loving. I can imagine when that... I mean, just imagine if that were to happen in here. Some of y'all have a heart attack if that happened in here, honestly. If this roof were to open up and somebody were to be let down in here, just put yourself in their sandals. But I can imagine if Jesus is there and that man's lowered down in front of him, I imagine he looked at that man with love and compassion and concern and pity because Jesus knew who that man was. He created that man. And that man mattered. Just like every person you see matters. No matter how dirty they may be, how poor they may be, how sick they may be, no matter if they're involved in drugs or alcohol or sexual sin or whatever it might be, each person matters. Each person is created by God. Each person is made in the image of God. Each person needs Jesus. One of the biggest problems we have in Christianity is because we expect lost people to live like saved people. You know why lost people sin? Because they're lost. And lost people sin. And lost people live like lost people. The real problem is we've got some Christian people living like lost people. But that's a different sermon for a different day. And so we look at people. We should have hearts of compassion and hearts of pity. We think about people that are bound in alcohol and drugs and sexual sin and all sorts of things and realize that they're dead in their sin and they're struggling along in their sin. And a lot of this is because they're looking for something. They're looking for satisfaction. They're looking for meaning. They're looking for purpose. They're broken. They've had rough lives. And they're looking for solace. And maybe I'll find it in this bottle. Maybe I'll find it as I snort this substance. Maybe I'll find it as I inject this. Maybe I'll find this as I view pornography. Maybe I'll find this as I do something. And then there are those sins that are well thought about and well thought upon, that is, well, maybe they'll get themselves to become a workaholic. Or they'll spend their time amassing a fortune. Or they'll spend their time seeking power. What they're looking for is salvation. They're looking for a Savior. They don't know that. They don't know they're in darkness. That's why Jesus told us to go and tell them. Go and say, hey, we've all sinned. Here's the bad news. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. And our, and our sin separates us from the Holy God. And we're lost. And here's the worst news. We can't do anything about it. We can't do enough good works. We can't save ourselves. We can't go to church enough. We can't give enough to the poor. We can't do anything. In fact, the Bible says we're lost and doomed and even dead in our sins. But here's the good news. It's called the Gospel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came, took upon Himself a human body, perfect God, perfect man, lived a sinless, perfect life, and, and our sin had to be dealt with. And so He voluntarily shed His blood upon the cross. And He died and He was buried and He rose, and he rose again victorious. And here's the best news. We can have Forgiveness of sin, eternal life, 
meaning, purpose, satisfaction, and a relationship with God if we'll simply turn from our sin and place our trust, our faith, in Christ alone. And it's free for the asking. And every person, listen, every person needs to hear that message. Now, God could have chosen to do it many ways. He could have written it in the, in the sky. He could have had an angel come and preach it. But here's the plan. Look around. We're the plan. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. You think maybe God knows something we don't know? Certainly he does. He's God. You know the best person to reach people know who that is? Another person. God has placed people in your life. I don't get to see them. I don't get to speak with them. You teenagers are going to go to class tomorrow. You don't want to go. You're going to be surrounded by students like you who don't know Jesus. You're going to go to work a lot of you tomorrow. You're going to have people you work with that don't know Jesus. You're going to go to the store today. You're going to go to the gas station. You're going to go to various places. And listen, every person that you interact with is someone who is created by God, loved by God, and needs God. And the plan is for us to be the ones to share with them. Now here's the idea of the who's your one. What do we learn from these four guys? I think we learn persistent faith. They didn't give up. A lot of us, if we could have got convinced to carry the guy to the door, when we got there, then we'd say, oh, it's full, let's go back home. Let's stop by the restaurant on the way home. Not these guys. But a lot of us, we let any little thing come up. So they said something mean about me. I'm afraid I'm, I might offend somebody. I'm afraid I might be misunderstood. But persistent faith says, listen, this person needs Jesus. I'm not giving up. With God's help, I'm going to keep going. We've talked about in this evangelism training, you know, the idea, I think we've mentioned the fact that it may not be the very first time. And obedience is the key. That's what successful evangelism is. You're obedient and you share the message. God the Holy Spirit has to convict them. God the Holy Spirit has to bring them faith in Christ. When the time is right, you may just be one that's planting a seed. You might be one that God's using to water the seed. You may be the one to see that person come to faith in Christ or not. But here's the good news. You still get rewarded when you do. When you stand before the Lord because you were obedient. We can make excuses all day long. Here's just the truth of the matter. We can make excuses all day long. These guys could have made excuses. We tried. I just see them there on Monday. We tried to take Bill down there to the meeting. It was too full. Maybe Jesus will come back some other day. No. They had a much better story. You never leave what happened. We got there. It was full. And we said, we're not taking Bill home. We're good. What can we do? Let's go up on the roof. Went up on the roof. No, you didn't. Yeah, I did. Went up on the roof. You wouldn't believe it. You should have seen their faces. We lowered it down there. And they're like, oh, look at that. And the strangest thing happened. 
Jesus said, your sins be forgiven. We all thought the world's happened. The religious leaders were there. Next thing you know, he said, hey, I've got power to forgive sins. He said, arise and walk. He got up. Those people just fell over. It's amazing. No. Yeah, I'm telling you what, man. It was amazing. What story does God want to tell in your life? Who's your one? Who is it that God's put up on your heart? Who is it that's come to mind today? Who is it that you know? It might be your mom, your dad. It might be an uncle. It might be a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, a classmate. Somebody's come in your mind. God wants to use you. You've got to love that person, minister that person, serve that person. And I don't mean as a, as a weird, I mean out of a heart of love. And at some point, as God opens the door, people don't care how much you know, they don't know how much you care. And you be real with them, and you, you minister them, you serve them, you pray for them. And at the right time, when God opens the door, you open your mouth and say, hey, can I share something with you that changed my life? And you enter into a gospel conversation. And it may be one of many. And it may take six months. It may take a year. But you're intentional. See, a lot of times the reason we don't evangelize is we don't plan on evangelizing. We plan on not evangelizing. And it's really hard now. Why? Because we live very closed off lives, a lot of us. You know, I have a challenge with this. You know why? Because I'm surrounded by saved people all the time. If I'm going to be around lost people, not stop saying somebody here may not be lost, but I mean, you've got to get intentional about it. Forming relationships, talking to people, going out of your way to form those connections. That you might have a Christ conversation with that person. So I want to do this in closing today. I want you to think about your one. I'm not asking you to do it even here. But some of you can right now. You already know who your one is. Some of you are like, I- I'm not real sure. I want, to, I want to encourage you to really begin considering this. Make it a matter of prayer today, this week. And settle on who is your one. Then take that prayer guide and begin praying for your one. Read those scriptures and talk to the Lord about your one. Reach out to your one. Pray for your one. Minister to your one. Love your one. Build the relationship with your one. And then as God enables you, share with your one the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, you can have more than one. And this is not to say we're not going to go through other doors that God might open. Because i got, I got a feeling that as you are obedient concerning your one, God's going to give you other opportunities to share Christ. <laughs> and it's exciting, beloved. But I told you last week, I think it was, there's a gentleman that I'm working on, just on and off as he appears in my life. I, I really haven't done a lot with this, but it's amazing. But I knew... Because the last time I saw him, I was at the dump. That's not why I moved that time. That's just where we were. And you know why I know God's working in his heart? Because he started the conversation. Hey, I was talking about coming to church over there. I was telling my wife. Like, oh, really? Anytime you want to come, you come. We'd love to have you. You come. You say, well, I thought you tried to go to Jesus. Well, I am. But if they come here, guess what they're going to hear? If he shows up, he's going to hear the gospel. 
See, just making connection. You know how I got to that point? Well, God worked that out. Just talking to them. Just being friendly. We are as opposite as we can be, this gentleman and I. I mean, as opposite as we can be. But I think the real difference is not just me talking with him, but he knows a lot of you. And he still wants to think, come sometimes. <laughs> because we've got a testimony. And our testimony matters. And so this individual that I'm, when I say I'm praying for him, and I don't know if he's my one one, but he's one of the ones I've got on my heart. So I pray for him as I see him. Now I can just go on a, hey, we've been looking for you. Hey, I hope you're still going to come. See, I've got to tell you this to this, this particular individual. Long before I begin talking with him, he's watched some of you. He's had connections with you. He knows some of you way better than he knows me. So I'm just coming on your, your, your heels. And I'm just helping to plant more seed. And here's the good news. If you've been obedient over the years with this particular one, whenever he does come to faith in Christ... We all get rewarded if we will be. I want to do this. We're not going to close in the song. I know it's been different, but I just want us to take a moment and pray. And then we'll be done. Because we've got a meeting. We've got to get prepared today. I want to give you a moment to really pray to the Lord about who your one is. Whether you know who that is today or you don't know. Let me give you a moment to pray about this. And I'll close in prayer. And we'll go home. And we're going to have a meeting with those that are going to come up and help us tonight. So let's just take a moment right where you are and let's pray together, all right?